So Steve Rogers has uh, morality um, and ethics kind of as his main tool, almost like his own superpower. And you can say for Matt Murdock uh, the same thing probably with spirituality and religion. Um, But when we're talking about uh, our current popular culture, um, the United States is arguably more secular than it ever has been. Uh, You know, are millennials ruining religion? Uh, But Matt Murdock's uh, faith uh, is a very essential part of uh, that character's DNA. Um, So... um, it's kind of the thing that kind of sets it apart from the other uh, Marvel Netflix shows, not even from this, those shows, uh, but from everything else in the MCU in general. Um, so uh, I wanted to bring you all together today and talk about, um, uh, just kind of analyze how uh, Daredevil kind of uses the uh, spiritual aspect of the character to its advantage. Uh, so this is another episode of AP Marvel. I'm Chris Compendio. As always, I have Izzy with me. Hello, Izzy. Hi, Chris. I have Anthony, who is very calm right now. Hi, Chris. <laughs> and, of course, we have Caleb from Marvel News Desk, uh, of Marvel News Desk fame, let's say. What's up, Caleb? Hey, uh, not much. I'm impressed <laughs> that I have fame now. I mean, we don't think yeah. it that way, so <laughs> fame is uh, uh, it's it, quite a, a lofty thing for us to have obtained through Marvel News Desk. <laughs> it, Hey. Is is infamy more accurate? You think? <laughs> Possibly, yeah. We have one or two people that feel very yeah. strongly about us on the internet. So, <laughs> oh boy, Whoa. yeah. No, uh, you you know you've made it on the internet <laughs> when you have when you're like on someone's hit list. Um, when you have haters. Yeah, exactly. People tweeting angry things at you. Um, Caleb, I think we've completed the trifecta. We had Adam on, we had Rhiannon on, and now we have you on. So, uh, congratulations, <laughs> hat trick. Um. So I kind of want to go around the uh, metaphorical room here. We're obviously all in separate places, but I kind of wanted all of us to talk about, uh, if you're comfortable doing so, uh, talking about our spiritual background, you know, with our family, with our, uh, you know, wherever you may come from. Uh, so can we start with you, Anthony? Um, yeah, sure. I'll, uh, just one quick note, um, because I know people may yeah. probably be upset at this. Um, Chris, the way that you said millennial sent me on an, sent me to a fucking spiritual plane, man. What did I say? You said millennial, <sighs> and, and it, it just, it just made me feel like, that must what, what planet, oh, what planet am I living on? So, okay. uh, I'm from New York. I grew up in a, in a very Italian family. Uh, uh, and, um, I went to an all boys Catholic high school in the Bronx, Jesuit, uh, Catholic high school. I have to make that distinction very clear. Uh, the Jesuit priests are, um, as I like to call them, the dank priests, um, because they're the only priests that like are smart and care about knowledge and information and about teaching. Um, our current Pope is a Jesuit. Um, Yeah. That's kind of my background and stuff. Would you say you are still religious in any sense of the word to this um, day in, in the year of our Lord? Uh, I don't know. It like it like flops around a lot. I don't know. It's like <laughs> life is weird. Existence is weird. Like sometimes what, I'm a, what are some sometimes I'm a nihilist and sometimes I'm just like, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe there's a God. Um, but I don't I don't follow like weird traditions that only existed for like 
what, th- 2,000 years because some people after a guy who existed said we should write these down and do them. So what you're saying is that you would not have a Bible verse in your Tinder bio. Yes. <laughs> maybe as maybe as an ironic joke about Tinder uh, Bible verses in mm. Tinder. But like I I like I like Jesus, like the ideas of what Jesus is where the he's concept a, of Jesus. A brown socialist the idea. from the Middle mm. East um mm. who likes uh minorities and outsiders. Uh yeah, that's pretty cool. Mm. Social justice warrior Jesus Christ. What are we gonna do about him? The first social justice warrior. Social yeah. Jesus Weist. <laughs> I'm you the... almost had it. What was that last it. word again? Weist. It was just Christ, but with a W. No. Remember <laughs> when he told me, me never... crap about millennials? All right, we're gonna move on. Yeah, yeah. Izzy. Uh, tell me everything about your life. Oh God. Okay. Well. <laughs> um. My background's um, pretty similar to, a little bit similar to Anthony's. Um, I was raised um, in a Filipino family. Um, Filipinos are also known for being very, very um, devout Catholics. And that definitely was the case for my family as well. My grandmother is, my grandmother loves the church. Back in Manila, she went almost every day. Oh, shit. And growing up, I was almost expected to have that faith as well and i do i still go to church every sunday um in college um i also went to a catholic high school which actually fun fact was closely um closely related to anthony's um jesuit high school fun fact okay Um, it's all connected yes exactly (laughs) and um that's pretty much it i i think that Amongst my friends, I'm mostly still the one who still goes to church a lot, um, mm-hmm. prays, you know, still falls at faith. I often feel like, for the most part, like the Roman Catholicism is a lot about love and just acceptance. And I think sometimes that gets lost today amidst all the politics. And I think sometimes the church has gotten a bit lost from that. But the our current pope is great, I think. It's just people. Do you ever uh, do you ever get any crap from any friends for still going to church out of curiosity? No, they're just no. I remember the first. I remember the only time it's really distinctly happened. It's just been like, oh my god, like that's a really long time because I've been going to church my whole life, mm-hmm. and it's more just like I throw off like they're like, huh, I haven't been to church in years. Um, I actually wrote an article about it um, in. Um, my university's paper, um, I, the university that um, Anthony, Chris, and I all went to school at some point, um, it's primarily Jewish, so there are not a lot of Catholics um, on campus. And even in my high school, it was a Catholic high school, but not everyone there was extremely, extremely devout. And often it was just, you know, it was a high school. People mm-hmm. really believed whatever they wanted. Right. Um. Yeah. yeah, I'll I'll explain why I asked that question. We swing by me, but um... I met some of the Catholics at uh at CMU. Um, they were talking about race issues, and the white kids didn't get it. So that makes hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Like with all uh, issues. 
Uh, Caleb, give us the tell-all about your background as the yeah. uh, the, the the elder of the uh, <laughs> of the uh, <laughs> quartet over here. <laughs> I just want. Yeah, so um, I was interested in this. I don't talk about it a ton on Marvel News Desk, but my real job is that I'm a pastor. Like, that's what I do for a living. Mm. I preach every Sunday. Um, and don't you guys don't have to change, okay? Sometimes people freak out. Like, it's really okay. <laughs> I'm used to curse words. Know that. It's not a problem. That's kind of cool. <laughs> so, that's but yeah. That's kind of cool. That's what, I do for a, that's what I do for a living. Uh, I grew up in church. Obviously went to college. Um my bachelor's degree is in biblical languages and I've got a master's of divinity. Mm. So, you know, I've got the academic side of religion as well. I'm kind of the least qualified cause I'm not Catholic. I've been Protestant, uh, my whole life. Uh, <laughs> I did take a, um, uh, a one hour seminar on Catholicism in graduate school. So I have some <laughs> academic knowledge. Uh, also though, uh, Oh my God. I live in New England, and so even though we're a Protestant church, a good chunk of the people that go to our church used to be Catholics. And so Mm. um, we live in a very heavily Catholic place, so most of the people I talk to about religion have some kind of Catholic background as they process it. So hopefully I will have uh, some good fairways to talk about Catholicism and Daredevil, despite my my Protestantism uh, potentially (laughs) coming through in the discussion. So. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Um, yeah. I I guess I'll we'll, it's you got it. I share my background. Yeah, no, um, it's time for me to share with the class. But I too grew up in a Filipino American uh, family, so naturally <laughs> we were all Roman Catholic. Um, like I, I mentioned before, we started recording. Um, my family doesn't really go to church anymore. It's really just my my grandmother who. Um, I still love my family, so she's actually right across the hallway from me, uh, and she's still, uh, she, like, virtually goes to church, like, on her iPad, and just, like, watches a video every Sunday, because no one will drive her there, um, but, um, yeah, I, I went to Sunday school, I went to CCD, um, and I didn't go to a, to a Catholic school, I went to an all-boys private school, where, you know, we had a dress code, but, um, you know, even though people assumed it was some sort of catholic school it was not in fact most of the people in my friend circle were pretty hardcore atheists um and they didn't really make fun of me but like whenever they saw like a sunday school book like you know near me they were like kind of you know pick up they'd be like oh what's this propaganda like they're cool or something like that (laughs) uh they loved this one youtube channel the amazing atheists and (laughs) Um, yeah, right? Yeah, you remember that guy, right? No, I just, um, that just sounds like a really dumb name for a YouTube channel. About I, I want to say, it sounds like a circus I, act to me, you know, like, the amazing like, atheists. like, come see us speak about Charles Darwin while walking yeah. on a tightrope. <laughs> oh, dear God. I, I remember, I think I revisited that channel, um, somewhat recently, and I think I saw some, uh, uh, pretty transphobic content in there yeah so. that yeah th- um so so chris can i can i hop in or go ahead you yeah that was pretty much it so um, so there's been this new trend of of stuff that i've been seeing so i mean i don't know if caleb or izzy hasn't i mean you guys probably haven't really seen this part because you guys are in it um but there's this there's this new switch from from like the 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 perspective of just regular christianity and christian 
like just what Christians are to new Christians. Um, or that's what I'm calling it, even though they've been there the whole time. Um, so like some of my favorite, so like, um, uh, one of my favorite, uh, people, uh, John Darnell of the mountain goats is one of them. He's, uh, of course (laughs) he's a, he's Christian, but like he, he still has like very progressive views on things and is still caring and, and like uses, uh, Christianity as a way to promote loving and caring nature. Cause that's what it, that's what it's supposed to be. And that's what it is. Um, and then there, on the flip side, there's this thing that I've noticed called neo-atheism. And as you can see, I use new and neo as a different way. Um, neo-atheism is atheists who believe in the idea of eugenics, um, are transphobic, um, are racist, um, usually alt-right people who don't necessarily fall into the lines of Christianity, but still take those old, uh, archaic, uh, beliefs of Christianity and apply it to atheism. Um, and we're seeing it a lot in different ways. So like anti-PC culture is very much on that front of neo-atheism. Um, this is stuff that I've personally seen. I don't know if it's like a real thing, but this is stuff that I've kind of witnessed and I've discussed with other people about. And that, they've kind that, of agreed. honestly, that's that sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what you guys are takes on what I said, but that's just kind of like how I'm going into this conversation, especially when we're talking about religion. Um, yeah, especially um, how, like, what the um, perception of religion is mm-hmm. in this day and age, and yeah. in this country that we live yeah, in. Yeah, like, I don't like referring um, to myself as an atheist, because of, because I'm not, one, I'm not really an atheist, but that's not a, it's it's kind of has, like, its own, like, taboo now, when you describe yourself, especially yeah, on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, uh, I mean, when it's, I, um, yeah, go ahead, Caleb. I was just going to say, as far as your description of Christianity, one of the things I was reading about recently is uh, even the term evangelical is going to change mm-hmm. on us because, you know, we generally, I mean, when you think of evangelical, you think of some white guy with a Confederate flag on the back of his truck. I mean, a lot of people do, right? There's like this yeah. perception right. of yeah. evangelicalism as Southern American uh, conservative politics, all that stuff. But the reality is something like 30% of all Americans that call themselves evangelicals are Latino. Mm-hmm. And obviously they are going to have slightly different political perspectives than sort of what you assume yeah. when you hear um, evangelical. And so even the, you know, Izzy and um, Chris were talking about sort of the Filipino uh, experience being connected to Catholicism. Uh, yeah. There's, as we become a more and more diverse country, most of these ethnicities that are becoming more prevalent in the country or, or nationalities or backgrounds tend to have Christianity as part of them. And so mm-hmm. we're going to have to radically redefine Christianity just on a racial ethnic perspective pretty soon. And so, yeah, I think that's helpful that these are very diverse things, right? There's a billion Christians in the world. So there's going to be a very diverse group of people that oh, yeah. will have that title. Yeah. Yeah, in the same article I wrote, I'd written for um, Carnegie Mellon, um, I mentioned how these day these days religion and race are very closely tied together. Like we mentioned, like Filipinos and Christianity. Like Anthony mm-hmm. mentioned Italians and Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, the obvious, oh, yeah. like oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> like the obvious, uh, like you know, and Hindu and Indians. Um, I could go on and on, but there is. Also, an association between 
you know, white, even like at the time, like in this no. article I've read yeah, about it's, like it's, white yeah. evangelicals sort of associated with as what Anthony's describing, neo atheism. Mm -hmm. Yep. And oftentimes like I think there's also I mean I can speak for um sort of my experience. Um I know like during when gay marriage was still being legalized and it still was a hot topic and it's a hot topic. You know, I was on the belief, you know, love is love and I think that, you know, you should marry the person you love. I know some of the older people in my family didn't think you know, they accepted that love is love argument too, but they did have that belief that marriage was still between a man and a woman. And so trying to consolidate that for them was a little bit hard because they were just used to these traditional beliefs. And so I would argue that you definitely have your neo-atheists, your new Christians, like me, like when you had described you like a new Christian, I thought I had just like said how like they promote like love and acceptance like just a couple minutes ago. And I guess sort of the traditional Christians who are trying to transition out of that um transition out of that neo-atheist image that they share that like still uphold like some christian tradition like some of the christian traditions but do so in pretty not great sick ways and so then you have the traditional christians trying to sort of embrace and learn more that's about this new christianity which is a great thing i think that's fair Mm -hmm. Oh. Mm -hmm. one of the things i've noticed is um uh, like so like my girlfriend's parents will say uh will i like, clarify with an evangelical um because that's that's kind of like what they're surrounded by so like also i'll hear my girlfriend's father talk about um caleb before i say this what denomination of protestant are you well, you don't need to worry about it. We're kind of we're kind of non-denominational, so we have okay. backgrounds uh, the American restoration. So every movement. time, every time he's in a Walmart, because um, he's like in the middle of like nowhere, Pennsylvania. Um, yeah. Anytime he's in a Walmart, they'll play like Christian music, and he'll say those fucking Baptists, and he'll get because <laughs> he gets really upset at Baptists and evangelicals. So like he'll he'll like make those two distinctions. Um, so like people who are more open to things in rural communities and are seeing like certain sects of Christianity being very um conservative uh socially um they're more likely to target they're not necessarily targeting like latino evan evangelicals but the white evangelicals just putting that yeah. out there um yeah, yeah. just like seeing that perspective it, it's very frustrating for me because for demographic purposes, um, I don't really like if you're just doing demographic research, uh, I don't, is a demographer a word? Anyone, somebody who does demographics would, sure. <laughs> would probably categorize our church as evangelical, but within sort of the political mm -hmm. perspective, our people it's, are, yeah. again, we're in New England. They're very politically liberal, progressive people. And so, you know, they're like, when people say, well, are you guys evangelical? I'm like, some guy who's doing the census might count us that way, right. but we don't vote that way. Most of our people anyway, some of them do, but not yeah. most of them. Yeah. So it gets real, it gets real weird. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, labels and identity. It's all kind of in flux right now mm -hmm. with, with all of these cultural changes uh, that I just, this is honestly an education to me. I, I can't even keep track of a lot of this. Um, 
So I feel like we've uh, laid out a lot of um, uh, a lot of pieces that we can kind of uh, play around with. Uh, so let's kind of uh, get a little deeper into Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would ask all three of you if you would interrupt me if I say anything that's like not like accurate about because I I I do not know too much about the comics. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I was just doing some preliminary research today, and it, um, I, it, I, uh, ran into, uh, this article that was pointing out that, is it true that Frank Miller was the one who kind of gave him that spiritual, uh, trait in the comics? Is that, does that sound right? Um, are you talking about the director of Mad Max Fury Road? No, that's, that's George Miller. Frank Miller... <laughs> I'm talking Frank Miller, like, Sin City. Yeah, I know. Like. I'm just making that joke because I think I've made, like, I realized that Frank Miller and George Miller are two different people on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, I I couldn't answer that, to be honest, because I don't know if anybody sure. hardly reads Daredevil before Frank Miller. Like, Miller was so <laughs> rev- revolutionary right. for, like, defining yeah. who that character is. That mm-hmm. I know I've read old Daredevil, but I, I stop at Miller. Like, I don't go back to, like, the Lee days. And he was kind right. of a bit character before mm-hmm. Miller sort of brought him to prominence in the 80s. So. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So he kind of um kind of helped Daredevil be born again, in a way, is what we're saying. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. the, the quote that I found was, uh, allegedly, Frank Miller said... I decided he needed to be a Catholic because only a Catholic could be a vigilante and an attorney at the same time. Uh, which that's a really be... that's a really good quote. Yeah. That elaborate. I, I don't know. I feel like there's there's like a level of like light and darkness inside of like someone who like I don't know. For some reason, it reminds me of. It reminds me of this, like, like if you think about, like, if you go back to the Bible and you think about Jesus um, going into the, the temple and freaking out and flipping up all the chairs about, like, all of the, all of the, what, I think it was, like, the rabbis and the priests that were in the temple who were basically selling away religion as, like, some sort of commodity. And it's like, this isn't what it's supposed to be. And basically making a mess of things, like... And then you imagine, and then you, like, just oppose that with the Jesus of, like, caring for the blind and caring for the sick. It's like, you have the vigilante version of, like, the violent person who, these things must get done. And then you have the person who goes out of the way, who who is just doing, like, the caring, like, lawful thing to do. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, like... And, and, like, there's a bunch of other things that, like like that Jesus does and that represents of like doing things that are right, even though that they're not legal. Like that's essentially what he did through the whole process. Like what he was doing was to the people of, of, of Jerusalem. Uh, and, oh, well, oh, and, Jesus. Sorry. Uh, well, yeah, what he, what Jesus was doing was like basically <laughs> illegal and, uh, and people were okay with it. So that that's just part of my thinking. I mean, there's way okay. more than just Jesus when it comes to Christianity, but yeah. Sure. But basically what we're saying is that Daredevil's Jesus episode over. <laughs> no, it's, it's interesting. I, process... I want to hear, hear Caleb's thing. Yeah. yeah. I process that quote really differently. I mean, so I'm kind of looking at it from a Protestant perspective. Like I hear mm-hmm. Daredevil has to be mm-hmm. Catholic. 
And I'm like, well, why couldn't be some mm. generic Christian? Why does it have to be a Catholic right. Christian? Mm-hmm. And for me, it's ooh, sort of, um, there's, yeah. I, I don't know, you guys, I'm not trying to slam anybody's beliefs, so tell me out, if though. I'm not fair on this. But oh, go ahead, I find that Catholicism has allowed for a certain duality, mm-hmm. in part because its relationship to the government. So, right, the Catholicism Ooh. for hundreds and hundreds of years Ooh. was connected with the government and the king. Yep. And mm-hmm. so if you had to go to war and slit, you know, the the Muslims throats in a crusade, like the crusade. Yep. you went yep. ahead yeah. and you did it and you found a way to do that because the government and the church were the same thing. And so you had mm-hmm. to find a way to mentally wash your hands of things that maybe the mm-hmm. church wouldn't be comfortable with. Whereas Protestantism mm-hmm. comes up in the context of being sort of anti-government, uh, you know, and, th- you know, obviously eventually the Germans become Protestants and the government gets connected. But early on, it's yeah. an anti-government, anti-establishment thing. And mm-hmm. so um, you're pacifists and you're like extreme wacko. We're not going to fight back. Anabaptist movements come out of the Protestant side, not the Catholic side. Gotcha. And I think over centuries, mm-hmm. It creates a moral world that a vigilante would live easier in Catholicism, I think. This may be a bad example, but I think of the mafia, right? Like the mafia is a traditionally Catholic organization. Mm -hmm. How does that work? Well, people will fairly say that it's because they're not being great Catholics. But also, also that there the, was something Italian. within the spirituality of Catholicism that almost allowed them to mentally divorce what I've got mm-hmm. to do to get business done and what I, I do when I'm at, at the church. Like, I just finished exactly. listening yeah. through Crime Town uh, about Buddy Cianci and Providence. And if you guys listen to this podcast, it's great. But they talk about, okay. like, they give clips of the priest doing mafia member funerals. And there's no, there's no weirdness. The priest isn't like, obviously we know he did terrible things. There's like, they somehow even baptize the way that these criminals and mafia did it because there's something within the morality there that, um, you know, your hair on fire evangelical fundamentalists would not allow that Mm -hmm. Catholicism has had to find wiggle room over the centuries to allow. I don't know if that's fair, but that's what comes to my mind when I hear. To add to that, um, one Italians are like I've just the way I mean I've grown up with Italians my whole life and I could definitely see that <laughs> um just like the way that certain things are said and done it's like uh, and then like you know they immediately after they curse they immediately you know do the sign of the cross because that makes sense um um but one of the things that you that that like flipped in my head as you were talking was one um guilt the idea of like Irish guilt and Catholic guilt, like that whole stereotype of like being being immoral at times, but then f- using your Catholicism to redeem yourself, um, but also keeping all the bad stuff you do keep deep down inside. Very, that's very Matt Murdocky in like what he does and says and how he acts and feels. He's guilty about all the bad things he does, but he knows he needs to do right. Yeah, I think Foggy. Um, in the show specifically, might have pointed that out, like in in the episode um, Nelson v. Murdoch. I think that's what Nelson points out to Matt Murdoch when he finds out he's Daredevil. You know, like you're just like we're attorneys, we're the law. We can't go around making our own law. But I think this quote 
emphasizes that only Catholic could be a vigilante and attorney because of that aspect that we make our own law. I guess Caleb, I think I definitely agree with what Caleb was saying, how only a, only a Catholic, you know, can use that judgment to know when to be a vigilante and when to do good and sort of have that balance. Um, I definitely think it also applies. I know, like, Caleb, you were mentioning, like, you were saying, why Protestant, why not Protestantism? Um, and I think it's just also the all-encompassing, like, the this sort of a Catholic religion. This Catholic, I mean, the Catholic religion is very, very old. Like, mm -hmm. you mentioned 2,000 traditional, years old. Traditional, traditional. Yeah. It was and a big that, thing. Essentially, there was a massive uproar in the 60s or 70s when the Pope said, no more Latin. People would, so like basically back then, people would go into a church and not understand anything that they would hear. Oh. You would have to yeah. know Latin um, to to get something out of church. Yeah, that's yeah. Fair. Vatican II still... is yeah. when they allow the yep. vernacular. I think it was nineteen fifty something, but yeah, that's it. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So it wasn't it wasn't somebody. It was it was I I, I so in the sixties and fifties, people were flipping out. Yeah, yeah. like there were still some. La I know there's still like some Latin masses around, but I, yeah, they're mostly obviously they're mostly English now, so people can understand them. But yeah, I think you definitely see that sort of own law nature law in matt's sort of personality it's definitely explored more in season one and then sort of tests in season two but not as much as other storytelling aspects were explored in season two um yeah that's my take yeah um, and can we talk about more oh go ahead caleb oh i, I was just gonna expand I, I think that guilt thing is really interesting too um, and that it is really a Catholic guilt, mm -hmm. right? Like, um, if Matt, you mentioned Baptist, right? If Matt is a particular kind of Baptist, when he does, when he beats up a bad guy, he goes, well, you know what? I'm saved by grace. I made a mistake, whatever. And he moves on. Right. But within Catholicism and some of the like processes of penance and, mm -hmm. um, some of the other more, you know, ideas, it sticks with me. It's like, oh, I have to redeem myself now. Not like I have to be redeemed, but I have to redeem myself, which I think is, you know, we see across popular culture and even people I talk to, like that is that Catholic guilt is a thing that makes Matt Murdock the character he is. And he's not that if his relationship to the divine is kind of more like, hey, I've been born again and I'm clean and it doesn't matter, you know? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of wondering, um, I'm trying to figure out where to go from here because I feel like we're answering a lot of these questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, does anyone want to talk specifically about the, um, the numerous, uh, confession scenes that the Netflix show has? What is it? Father Lantum, I think is his name. Yeah. Well, like as we've um, been, oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry. As we've been mentioning, um, like Father Lantum lets Matt express his Catholic guilt, you know. At the one of the first mm -hmm. scenes is um is Matt confessing to Father Lantum for not what I've done, but for what I'm about to do. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's not how this works. <laughs> but um yeah, like sort of Father Lantum sort of acts as sort of Matt's reminder on his spirituality, I think. Um, because, you know, throughout everything he does, like Father Lantum theoretically 
might have known who Matt was from the start because of all these confessions and just from knowing Matt for, I think, has he known Matt his entire life, Father Lantern? Um, I don't did he think know, like, so. Batlin Jack? Or is that, am I, mis- am I misunderstanding something? I'd have so to we get the impression that Matt grew up his whole life in this neighborhood. And so it mm-hmm. just really comes down to how long he's been the priest there, right? Because mm-hmm. if he has had a several decades career, then yeah, he's probably known Matt since he was a little kid. Yeah. Uh, also, they may connect this in season three. If Father Lantum has a relationship with Sister Maggie, then he's known her. You know, he's known Matt for a real long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good thing to bring up because I hadn't even thought about season. We haven't even thought about season three. And how Matt goes back to, um, you know, where Sister Maggie is. Like, I don't know if it was, a, I don't know if it's a nunnery or the convent. It's is a it, nunnery. It's a convent. I, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm making a joke. It's, That's it's a not, joke. Okay. It's not Good. called that. Lord, it's okay. not called that. <laughs> so many jokes from Anthony tonight. Shut up. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like the so, born. I mean. Again. I'm oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was going to mention like the born again storyline that Frank Miller has done and how like central, like it's going to be pretty central to there. I've heard it's going to be central to Daredevil season three. So I think it's going to be really interesting to sort of explore that more. And I hope we explore like Matt's cat. Like we go more into like Matt's like spirituality in season three of Daredevil. Since of that nunnery aspect. Yeah. When it comes to Father uh, Lantum, I so I actually you know do what he does kind of for a living, mm-hmm. and I generally hate the way preachers and priests and pastors are written on TV because they're usually somewhat of a caricature, and it's usually um, maybe this is a wrong assumption, but I assume that most of these Hollywood writers are not actually going to church regularly. And so they're like creating like a cartoon instead of like something they experience. The best I have ever seen somebody do a pastor on TV is the scene about, um, is the devil real? I think it's episode nine of season one. Right. Where Murdoch says, you know, do you think the devil is a real person, a real entity? And this is like, this is a real question. This is something that I deal with frequently where people sort of take this idea of like personified evil that they see in the Bible. And they're like, is that, is that a real thing? Is that an old wives tale? Mm. And as a preacher, you're kind of, at least from my perspective, I'm always balancing a line between, um, you know, I'm a modern person, you know, I care about things like modern science and, you know, I want to be reasonable, but I also have scripture that describes something in front of me. And like, so how do you do that? How do you balance it? And he tells that incredible story about, uh, I think it's the Rwandan man that took care of everyone in their town, and he was the priest in that town, and the warlord kept sending people to kill the man, and they wouldn't because he was so good. And then the warlord mm-hmm. comes and cuts off the man's head, and he said, I realized that day the devil is very, very real. I would love, like, that's a kind of way that I would address a question like that. Right. Because it says, yeah, the world still has metaphysical dualism. There is still good and evil. There are nasty, destructive, destroying things in our world. But that we that we even like cheapen it and make it a joke when we make it like a red dude with pitchfork and mm-hmm. like horns. 
Like it far more often looks like a Rwandan warlord. And the way that like he deals with that very spiritually sensitive in a way that really is not negative towards like traditional scriptural descriptions Mm -hmm. of Satan, but also is pastorally adept at talking about what Matt's talking about and is based in real lives and real circumstances and real politics. Like that is my favorite pastor scene Mm-hmm. in any TV show I've seen. It wow. is just perfectly written and I love it so much and I just, I don't know. I don't know if that helps our conversation, but uh, I think it's it's great. Like It's clearly been well uh, researched and well written, I think, by the team at Daredevil. And it hits to Matt's character, this idea of the evil kind of inside him and that he sees the world as good and bad and um, that he's got to contribute to that and even the irony of like the Catholic guy wearing a devil suit, right? Like that's right. so beautiful yeah. and rich and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, was would that be a thing that they would address like pre Frank Miller? Then the fact that he is dressed up like a devil, or is it just um, because it's kind of playing with the uh, the thematic part of that? You know, like how um, certain interpretations of Batman, like he dresses up like a bat because that was like his fear. Uh, that was kind of like the Chris Nolan version. Uh, so, um, does the, does the show, and I guess, um, you know, I guess the comic as well, does it ever kind of address, um, the mask that he wears, like why he chose, why he chose to embrace that name, the Devils of Hell, of Hell's Kitchen? Does anyone have any thoughts on that? (laughs) I feel like, at least for the comics, if... Frank Miller gave that Catholicism during the 1990s and Daredevil is before then. I think, at least in the comics, Daredevil is sound like, a, oh, like a cool, catchy superhero name, and then Frank Miller really must have taken it his own, like, just sort of made it his own. Right. Which is great. I don't, um, I don't think I mean, X-Men didn't, X-Men didn't start off as a civil rights uh, metaphor. That yeah. Was, that came later in the, um, mm-hmm. Like I don't think that's what Stan Lee had in no, mind. No, I think Stan Lee, <laughs> when he specifically made Magneto and Professor X, he was just like, that person is Martin Luther King and that person's uh, Malcolm, Malcolm X. X. Like, he yeah. specifically said that, I think, in his out loud in public. But even, like, back, like, when he created yeah, that? Because... I'm, I'm making a joke again. Uh, he definitely did not oh do God. that. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Anthony! Well, so that is not I will say... Though. <laughs> there was a series of um, interviews on a VHS for Pizza Hut back in the day when the <laughs> series came out. And, uh, well, I know because I watched them like 8,000 times as a kid. <laughs> and I forget who it is. It's like Scott LaBelle, Lobdell or whoever, one of those X-Men writers, asked uh-huh. Stan if he did it on purpose, and Stan kind of takes credit for it. He's like, oh, uh-huh. yeah, we were trying to totally uh-huh. make it a civil rights thing. So uh, I think he has at times uh, suggested that that was done on purpose. I guess we can take his word, his word for it, I guess. But uh, man, that's sure Pizza Hut VHS. That's, that's a great academic source, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, yeah. So I, I liked what you were talking about, Caleb. Like it, it, it so that that moment felt very authentic to you. Um, the Father Lantum scene. Um, yeah. So. And I think that's a really great thing with the Netflix uh, Marvel shows, you know, um, uh, Jessica Jones and Luke Cage feel very authentic based on um, the the creators that are behind those shows. So they were able to uh, talk about the issues that those writers want to in a very uh, 
realistic way, despite all of the fantastical elements, all the sci-fi elements. Um, and uh, I'm kind of curious with Daredevil specifically because they're always changing hands with the show. You know, it was uh, well, Drew Goddard, then Denight, then uh, Marco Ramirez, and I forget uh, Doug. Doug Petrie. D- Doug Petrie. Yeah. Um, do you feel there's any, and this is kind of a two-part question, do you feel there's any consistency on how Matt Murdock's spirituality is depicted throughout uh, the first two seasons of Daredevil plus The Fenders? And do you think there's any sort of arc, any sort of journey that um, that Matt Murdock went through uh, uh, relating to his faith? Is there anything that you tracked through those three seasons of television? I think it was the most cohesive in season one. I think in season two, they kind of reduced it to Matt Murdock doesn't kill because of his Catholic guilt, like of just who he is as a Catholic. And that's, a, mm-hmm. I know, at the very least, like, thou shalt not kill as a commandment. I think in The Defenders, that sort of basic mentality of Catholicism sort of transitioned into a bit more when... He was deciding what to do about Electra, but I know obviously since it was an since the Defenders was more of an ensemble show, I think mm-hmm. Matt's focus like Matt like that focus was sort of like taking a back burner to focus on the ensemble aspect. I think the second part of your question was was it done well, right? Or what? No, sorry. What arc is there? Yeah, pretty much. I think what I see it most what I see it mostly is that. It's really a battle between Matt's, Matt's Catholic spirituality and then like just his further descent into really embracing Daredevil for what the Punisher says he is. Like, you're one bad day from becoming me. This promo image of um, Daredevil with like the bloody teeth just smiling always sticks out at me because it's a, it's just feels like this almost haunting image of what Matt is almost trying to avoid. He never wants to go really, he never really wants to push past that like boundary of just fighting for the sake of fighting and killing for the sake of killing. But it's what he's drawn to do anyway, but he just has learned not to kill. And I think it's been interesting to explore um, throughout and it's always nice that it's always nice that the show each showrunner who picks it up it's like sort of touches on it a bit more, but it's definitely been dulled down since season one, which is hmm. kind of disappointing. Yeah, I mean the excuse that I give them, and they maybe didn't mean to do this, but I I, I give them the out. Um, I have always taken Electra to Electra is the actual devil in Matt's life, like. Electra is the tempter who takes him away. And I know that plays into like traditional female temptress, like models and archetypes that maybe we're not comfortable with. But when you look at Matt, Electra is always about taking Matt away from his support, right? The more Mm -hmm. he's around her, the less he's with foggy. And the more he's around her, the less he's with Karen. And another piece of that is he stops going to church and he stops talking to father Lantum because Electra wants to unmoor him from everything that provides stability in his life because she likes him wild and crazy and in the end violating his own principles right she's the one Mm -hmm. that wants him to murder people 
instead of just beat them oh, up. Wow. Yeah. And so she is like, and she even practically carries a pitchfork with her, right? Like, I don't know if they did that on purpose, but I think it's, she is meant to be the siren that calls him away from like a stable, normal life. Mm -hmm. It's why I hated the last episode of season two, where he's like, let's run away, Electra. I love you. And they kiss and I'm like, no, she is bad, Matt. She is bad. (laughs) She is bad. She is bad. She, she reminds me. And I know it's like, you know, the stereotypical bullshit of like, the female temptress as we already discussed but she reminds me of like alcohol abuse and then like you get past it and then you go to alcoholics anonymous and then it comes back and what do you do when it comes back yeah it ruins it ruins it ruins everything so like it ruins all of his relationships it ruins his crime fighting it ruins his 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 uh his uh love life no, no well i mean yeah but it also ruins his um his law firm it ruins everything, which I think is like, and eventually, it makes him suicidal, yeah. right? I mean, that's the end of Defenders. Yeah. Is I am so intoxicated with Electra that I'd rather die than not be with which her. Which I think is how. And so I yeah. think it'd be interesting if season three is him coming out of that. Sorry. No, ahead. no. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's it's about addiction. Electra is like an addiction, and it's about experiencing addiction and what you what happens when you go through addiction, which is interesting and i think this is a very important piece of how as we were talking about earlier with season three religion is incredibly important for people that have gone through addiction i have like we hear about we hear stories of people that come out of jail being uh more infantilized by religion we hear people who are like oh i was addicted i went through alcoholics anonymous i was uh on opioids for a while and then i found god or something like that and then they like bec- turning a whole new leaf and applying that to matt's story can be very very interesting like what what happens when someone escapes the addiction for good, yeah. Particularly that, when it's all... nuns who yeah. are bringing him back to hell, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Um, that all sounds good in theory. I think my worry is that, uh, and you know, you you pointed it out, Caleb. Like that last episode of season two, it seemed to almost, uh, basically ignore the idea that you'd think the writers themselves were mm-hmm. setting up. Um, but the fact that like she she is the black sky, like she is uh, whatever the heck that means, uh, even. But um, almost like this, it's just like this demonic force in the defenders, almost. So that is that's kind of why um, I was just kind of flabbergasted by that defenders ending, um, and the fact that there's going to be yet another new showrunner for season three makes me wonder: um, are they going to uh, pick up on that on that arc? Um, or is it just going to be kind of like another misfire, like the end of uh, season mm-hmm. two? Um, and you know, it's it, it. There's not really much point in us really speculating because we don't know what they have cooked up. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're already filming the damn thing, so like it's it's too late for them to make any <laughs> changes. Um, so I'm I'm kind of wondering um, how going back to the idea of like identity and perception. Do you feel that there are people who, say, are interested in watching this, you know, just another Marvel show, you know, the action looks pretty good, but um, uh, being turned off by the 
Catholic aspect of the show, or would the, could you see them like rolling their eyes at it, uh, maybe being turned off from the show entirely? Um, and adding to that, do you think there's any? Do you think there's anything that people watching this could uh, learn from watching this show? Is there anything that, um, you know, the fact that we're kind of saying that a lot of the scenes depicting Catholicism in this show are authentic, um, could people learn anything? Could the could the show impart anything uh, about Catholicism to, you know, young, edgy, millennial atheists? I remember when the first show. I remember the first show. I remember when the first season came out. Yeah. Um, it was obviously very well reviewed, lauded, praised, and when I remember watching the first for the first time, and then the Catholicism was a surprise to me. Like I just didn't know that about his character. I think right. the Catholicism is not a turnoff for people. It's just as I. It's just sort of the same thing I had expressed earlier with my friends. Like oh that's cool, like, you're Catholic. Oh, like, I didn't know you've been going to church for, like, your whole life. That's, like, wow, damn. Um, <laughs> it's just be, I feel like the vibe is just that, because, I mean, when I first watched it, I didn't really know until, like, I'd watched the show. And so I think it's been taking more low-key late, and, like, it hasn't also turned people any people off, because, I mean, you know, most of what you remember of Daredevil... Like, is that, like, hallway scene and the cool action and how it was really Marvel's first dark, gritty show. Like, there's other aspects of it that are overshadowing the religion, which makes sense because it was Marvel's first Netflix show. I mm-hmm. think mm-hmm. that, like, if someone, if, like, a young, edgy, millennial viewer were to look, to quote your words, to, um, were to look deeper into that spiritual aspect, they might... I think they could find something, like, just looking at Matt's spirituality. I feel like most millennials aren't, you know, aren't Catholic. Um, But I think the kind, like, sort of Matt's mindset and how Catholicism has really guided his life and choices throughout the show and sort of him relapsing with Electra and all the relationships he has, I think... Matt, I think it just, I think in general, it just makes Matt a good role model and a good character to work to explore because he does good things and he has faults. And I think the Catholicism makes him more well-rounded, if that makes any sense. Yeah, and he, he goes through uh, moral dilemmas. He goes through mm-hmm. ethical struggles, which I think, um, um, you know, adds a bit of mm-hmm. realism to that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we said, like Father Lantum isn't like some you know, Bible-thumping caricature. Um, um, so any other additional thoughts on that, Anthony or mm-hmm. Caleb? Um, I mean, Caleb I think, for, first of all, I don't, I don't, I think it might actually, when you look at, like, the population, like, I looked this up before the episode because we talk about it, like, 7 out of 10 Americans still identify as a Christian, and 1 out of 5 Americans identifies as a Catholic. And so, in a way that could help it, uh, if anything, like, from my perspective, the MCU is a surprisingly religionless place. Yeah. You know, like, 
the the amount of characters that never mention God in any way, shape, or form is actually kind of weird if they were an average cross section of the world. That's true, yeah. and so I think that that could be helpful. Um, were you gonna say something, Izzy? I was gonna say I was gonna make a joke. What about that Korean Church of Soar? Oh uh, yeah, an Easter egg somewhere. Wait, what? yeah, and there was wait what? Like it was yeah, in... there's a Church of Thor. Where is it? Oh my god, is it? I want to say it's Homecoming, I've... or like I yes, be... it oh, is. I barely know what you're talking about. Oh, okay, I forget which movie, yeah. but yes, was it Homecoming? Yeah. The only other references oh, I can think of is uh, you know Runaways has the weird cult religion in it. Oh, and... oh my god, wait. The and Church of Gibbon, yeah. Korean Church of Asgard. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, Cap also, the uh, where I come from, there's only one God, right? Right before he goes oh, to fight Loki or yeah. whatever in Avengers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, I think that could be helpful. I mean, generally, my approach to it, we always say that our first job, my first job as a pastor is to convince people I'm a normal person and not some kind of weirdo, you know, like, <laughs> like that's just my job is to make Christianity look palpable for normal people. And I think mm-hmm. Father Lantham does a great job of that. He is an intelligent yeah. character. Matt can't pull any crap on him. He, he constantly is calling Matt on sort of this BS game that he's playing with him. And so he's strong, he's principled, but he's not inflexible. Like, he is a great representation of somebody who's religious but still a normal person. And so often in the media, pastors are either like pedophiles or Ned Flanders. Like, those are kind of like the options, (laughs) you know? And so I think it's only a good thing to have a Father Lantern that's like a respectable stand-up guy that you'd actually want talking to you and sharing life with you, you know? To add to that, I feel like, I mean, like, Catholicism as a whole for Matt is very much like separating the I don't kill mantra that we see and also with Batman and trying to separate the two of like, oh, he just doesn't kill because he just doesn't want to kill. It adds another deeper level. Just a little. Okay. Yeah. I actually wanted to talk about this. I might go on a quick tangent. Oh, I find really interesting that um, the Catholic Church is the most consistently pro-life organization in America. And by that, I don't just mean on abortion. The Catholic Church is one of the few entities that say we're against abortion, we're against doctor-assisted um, suicide, mm. but we're also against capital punishment, and we're also against... Uh, generally against war and against terrorism, right? Like the Catholic church has a position that doesn't neatly fit into political circles because mm-hmm. they say death by lethal injection is bad and abortion is bad because they both end lives. And I don't mm-hmm. think it's a mistake that Matt is the MCU character who won't cause captain America is old school morality, yeah. Yeah. but captain America put a bullet in your skull, mm-hmm. you know, but Matt has, it's like that, that mantra of we don't think death is ever okay. Like, I feel like that was one of the places his Catholicism really enforces his choices as a character. Mm-hmm. That'd be so easy to look over if you don't know a little more about sort of the philosophical background. I mean, this yeah. is frankly, it goes down to the contraception thing for the cat for Catholics, you know, like yeah. even that is sort of this extreme pro-life uh, perspective. And I think it's interesting that comes out in Matt's unwillingness to kill and, someone. And, and like, it's interesting on top of that because, 
I see a lot of Catholics who are very pro-war, very like, like pro like death uh, penalty, pro pro capital punishment, pro violence, pro a lot of things, and like seeing like seeing that in Matt is kind of like what I imagine it would be like if if people actually like gave a shit that's what it would be like but i don't see that in reality matt murdoch is your fantasy ideal catholic is what you're saying no that is not what i'm saying <laughs> please don't quote me on that <laughs> okay yeah i i'm very curious because i feel like all of the model netflix shows like maybe maybe not iron fist but we can talk about that later um has hmm. very distinct identity to it and um I I keep questioning if um spirituality is just is kind of like the the quote unquote thing for Daredevil. Mm-hmm. Uh the same way, you know, um Jessica Jones deals with, you know, PTSD and sexual consent. Uh, not even just uh sexual but just consent in general. Um and you know, uh Luke Cage talks a lot about race relations mm-hmm. and uh uh the relationship with the police and uh related matters uh but you know daredevil isn't like i i I wouldn't say that religion is hard-coded into daredevil the same way like i don't know a dan brown novel or um i mentioned that because i actually saw the da vinci code film for the first time a couple months ago and it was a ride (laughs) um what you never saw it no i didn't know i i told that to a friend of mine it is an interesting (laughs) movie that is all i will say that's like the most neutral thing you've said it's ian Ian mckellen's the bad guy right yeah, yeah, spoilers for The Da Vinci Code, I guess. Wait, I forget uh, that Ian McKellen is in the movie to begin it with. Is. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I... This has been really interesting to listen to, and I'm, I'm saying... I'm kind of throwing myself under the bus because I felt like I... I am, like, the least equipped to talk about all this. I feel like I've been learning a lot from the three of you, honestly. <laughs> and I just kind of, like, been letting the conversation go in, um, on autopilot. Um... <laughs> So yeah, I guess I wanted to say thanks for all your perspectives. Um, is there anything else that I might have missed that you think is relevant? Uh, any other tangents that the three of you want to go on? Speak now or forever hold your peace. I guess. <laughs> I'm just to follow up on that. Like, what's the hook of Daredevil, yeah. so to speak, compared to the other shows? Uh, to me, Daredevil is all about ethics, mm-hmm. which I don't know is not as specific yeah. or interesting a thing maybe as the others. But you know, like this is the debate between Daredevil and Kingpin. It's the debate between Daredevil and Elektra. The debate between the Daredevil good Samaritan. and Punisher is the Good Samaritan. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. <laughs> how do you how do you ethically handle life? And what I love about Matt is Matt is always asking himself three questions at once. What's legal, what's just, and what's righteous? Mm. Ooh, ooh, yeah. and the ooh, fact that deep. those don't always, those aren't always the same thing. And like, particularly for you know, for someone like myself who is religious, I'm constantly, I'm constantly looking at this. Right? Like, um, I don't know. You can pull anything out. Like, you pull out uh, Harvey Weinstein just to throw out something sure. random. Yeah. Right? Like. 
from a justice perspective, what is he legally culpable for? What's he not? From a justice perspective, what does he deserve? And what does he not deserve? Mm-hmm. And then there's like the Christian perspective is how do we treat someone like that? And if you believe about, you believe in redemption, is that valuable? Like, is, is there a desire to redeem someone even if they've done really, really terrible things? And what's great about Matt is that all three of those things are going on in his brain at once. And with every punch he's having to, like the lawyer and the Catholic and the vigilante are fighting with one another about what to do. And that makes for incredible internal conflict. I mean, I remember us talking on the back on the MCU exchange uh, message boards once. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking with Doug Herring. Yeah. And I remember Doug kind of saying he was a Punisher guy because he's like, some people are just irredeemable and deserve to die. And I was, you know, like my pastor hat was kicking in. I'm like, no, <laughs> there's no such thing as irredeemable. Right. Mm-hmm. Like anybody can find a way to come back. But that's a very deep held personal conviction. Yeah. And it's one that Matt has, and it's one that makes his treatment of the Kingpin. Like, if Matt is any other hero in the MCU, Kingpin dies in that alley. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he doesn't for Daredevil, because Daredevil can see him, and he realizes that him and Kingpin are having an ethical disagreement about common causes. And that gives the show a complexity. That's way more interesting than most of the other conflicts right. in the MCU, I think. Yeah. No, I, um, kind of summing it up with those three questions, I think, is really interesting. Um, because uh, when you talk about things like, you know, Harvey Weinstein, for example, and all the related incidents that are still continuing to this day, um, I feel like people, when they're arguing, when they're having the discourse about those incidents, they're they're always seeing it from one of those three perspectives and never all three of them. And that's kind of where people kind of clash yeah. um, because we're all, everyone kind of prioritizes one over the other. Um, so I think that's a, that's a really fascinating way to kind of add a little more texture to the, the phrase um, spirituality is Daredevil's superpower. Um, the fact that he can, kind of see it from those perspectives daredevil can 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 harness the power of the holy spirit <laughs> and bless uh, his, his his i think it's a good place enemies. to close i think it. you're talking about bible man yeah. um there is a bible, superhero man. Named bible man i believe it's played by adam west i'm not joking you can google this oh, they Lord. sell them at christian bookstores adam bible west man. is bible man um wasn't there like some New oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god. It is real. series created by Will Willie Ames that ran from 1995 to 2010. Okay. Yeah. The fuck? Yeah. Oh boy. Bible man. <laughs> what? I, well, I He's got like oh. a full mask and everything. He's got like a suit. Oh my god! <laughs> Bible man. Oh. Meet the Bible Man team. <laughs> I think we should Listen, stop this there. Horrific. This is horrific. Boy, I, I wanted to mention, wasn't there... <laughs> he has a lightsaber. <laughs> what color is a lightsaber? I believe that's the sword of the spirit, oh, um, to be accurate, but yeah. yeah. Chris, what are we going to say? I mean, say? the Jedi... The Jedi are Bible like Man, Genesis, knights, divided wizards. we fall. Yeah. Bible Man, Genesis, Jesus, our savior. A fight for faith. 
Uh, Terminating the toxic tonic. Stay tuned for next disrespect. week on uh, AP Bible Man. Um, we're actually going to transition. <laughs> this is my the animated yeah. adventures. <laughs> What's silencing the gossip? Isn't one of Superman's new weaknesses is defeating the, power of the shadow. The <laughs> Anthony Doobie. Stop right now. <laughs> I but like isn't isn't the power of prayer one of Superman's newest weaknesses? Am I incorrect in saying that? Because I could have sworn the I saw that. Power prayer. Yeah, I could have sworn I saw. I think like, you're right. I forget what that was about, but I saw that. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, Bible Superman's got so, nothing on Bible Man. Superman's one new more... weakness is the power of prayer. <laughs> Caleb, what were you about to say? One other stupid tangent I was going to go on real quick. Sure, please We do. talk about uh, spirituality on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, Iron Fist would do real well to actually sit down and talk to somebody who understands Buddhist philosophy. Oh, yeah. Please. Because, like, Danny is the least, like, Zen. I don't, I don't understand Buddhist philosophy greatly, but he's the least Zen person. And, like, it makes no <laughs> sense that someone would study anything remotely close to Buddhism and be that frantically messed up i just it seems like that is one way that that show could have improved itself is to have done similar spirituality philosophical backgrounds to their characters daredevil did yeah, I... bible man jr thankful for jesus god loves everyone bible man re-emerges may 12 2017 bible man genesis Silencing the Chris, Anthony, Again. Caleb, what are you your handles? Edit this, right, Chris? Uh, I I could edit this. This is this might this could be Bible Man, okay. the animated adventure. Chris, Anthony, Lighting Caleb, what are your the handles? Shadow of doubt. You can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Compenderizer. <laughs> Tony screams so loudly that. Actually, I think he broke his mic because we can no longer hear him. Anthony is at the God, pizza hold on, hold on, hold on. Yes. Bible Man, Fight for Faith, live. Uh, it is live. You can find Anthony Keown at the Pizza Taco. Oh my God, it's uh, live. On Twitter. Uh, How do they do they a live you on Twitter? You can find me at Delirilin. I Okay. Yeah. And Caleb, where can people find you on the social media? Yeah, um, I do all my Marvel stuff at Twitter, at Caleb A. Borchers, B-O-R-C-H-E-R-S. And thanks for having me on, guys. It's been fun. I enjoy mixing my real life and this life, so. Yeah. Yeah. And remember, remember to everyone out there, Bible Man (laughs) is watching you masturbate. (laughs) Follow us at Marvel News Desk on Twitter. Thanks. Uh, Donate to our Patreon. Uh, thanks again to Steve Mauder for that awesome jazz track that we play at the beginning of every episode. And, uh, Anthony, play us out. <laughs> uh, uh, Bible Man is coming to a theater near you this Sunday night. This, this coming soon. This Sunday. Bible Man. Get your tickets now. Bubble Man.